It is Wednesday, December 14th, 2016. That means the year is almost done. Welcome to the Monitor Wires Cultural Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Rubin, and having just dropped an offhand E40 reference, it seemed to surprise my co-hosts. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Hey. Thanks. Uh, Senior Associate Editor Angela Watercutter. Yes, sir. It's been a minute. People have actually asked where the podcast is. I know. There's you said some, you were getting, like, people were adding you. There's been some travel. Yeah. Uh, as I explained, and, and some other things that have uh, upset the equilibrium, but we are back. We will, this will be our last one of yeah. the year. We'll okay. get back into things. Uh, 2017. January 2017. And a special welcome back to one time Wired SF uh, member Charlie Locke, who is now Wired New York. It's true. Yeah. And it's just back to graces with the presence on a holiday visit. You know, it actually started snowing on Sunday. And so in reaction, I got on a plane and came back to Oakland. So I think, <laughs> I think it'll be gone by the time I go back in January. That's right. Yeah. The, the, That's the snow how the seasons in. work. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's the Jay-Z travel plan. <laughs> uh, so a quick question for, for both of you guys before we really get into things. And that yes, is, we, looking back at 2016, I think we've all seen... The, the Twitter meme of what we looked like at the beginning of 2016 and what yeah. we look at at the end. But you have to, uh, we have to agree that a lot of good came out of the year. There's a mm. lot of great culture, a lot yeah. of great pop culture. What uh, of those plentiful offerings have you not gotten a chance to consume yet and feel worst about? Like, what is what is that gotta gotta get it in before the year ends? Oh, you're, you're throwing this to me first, aren't you? Of course I am. <laughs> All right. Um, Peter. <laughs> Uh, so, Peter. Um, it's not like I'm going to think about it until you ask me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you stole my answer. Um, no, I think the thing that I have not done yet, which I'm surprised about, is I still haven't seen Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm. And considering my well-documented love of Eddie Redmayne on this podcast, I don't know how I have not done that yet. It's true. You know? Like, it, what the hell's wrong with me? I, I hadn't even considered that. It's not so much that it's a, it's a Potterverse Love. It is an yeah. Eddie Redmayne love. Yeah. <laughs> From What the Album right. to Dare's a Dark Side to Funk Dr. Spock to The Imitation <laughs> Game and now to Fantastic Beasts. Imitation Game. Not Imitation Game. Theory of... Theory of everything. I get those two movies know, mixed up all the every time. single time. Yeah, every time. And like, honestly, Imitation I Game like is see... Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. as Alan Turing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, would, I would watch Benedict Cumberbatch in Theory of Everything and I think I would also watch Eddie Redmayne in Imitation Game. I really want to switch Just up my two Brits. Charming British gents. Yeah, it's true. Speaking of Eddie Redmayne fans, Charlie. <laughs> it's true. It's a it's a seamless segue there. <laughs> um, I uh, what, there are so many things I haven't watched yet, which hopefully the next few weeks of being at home will give me time aplenty to get in some family quality time by just watching endless TV. That's the plan. Um, I was but, like, that's not an answer. I need something specific. <laughs> um, I have not seen O.J. Made in America yet. I watched yeah. the um, People versus O.J. Simpson, but that was that was enough O.J. in the moment for someone who didn't really know the story at all to have just one version, but I think I'm ready now for the second version. There was just... I can't remember where this was. I, uh, either Hollywood Reporter or Variety talked to, uh, and now I'm going to forget his last name, Ezra, the documentarian who made O.J. Made in America. Mm-hmm. And he was so kind of devastated when he found out that People vs. O.J. Simpson was going to be coming out before mm-hmm. his series that he, he still hasn't watched it. Yeah. I like 
the his New Year's resolution for 2017 is that was maybe. like yeah that was like a deep impact Armageddon uh, confluence of release yeah. timing that was just so terrible because you had like the soapy crowd pleasing thing and then you had like the hard hitting toothy documentary oh god I just putting <laughs> so much OJ was so much OJ um, the juice was indeed loose uh, so man. There's so much stuff. I feel like there's so much stuff that I miss all the time. Yeah. Um, and for me, it is... Oh, God, I hate to say this. It's Moonlight. I haven't seen oh, Moonlight. Oh, man. Um, I haven't seen Moonlight, and I, uh, Barry Jenkins' movie, Medicine for Melancholy, is an all-time favorite of mine, which uh, stars Wyatt Cenac, one-time Daily Show correspondent, and is kind of a wonderful... Uh, it's not quite a rom-com. I don't know what it is. It's just a movie about uh, a one-night stand that turns into something weirder in yeah. San Francisco, and it's in black and white, and it's just great. Um, but I haven't seen Moonlight and Mahershala Ali, and there are so many great reasons to see it. So that is my shame point, uh, and it's something that I will hopefully regret soon. But it's also jockeying for attention right now with things like Rogue One, Rogue a Star one? Wars story. Maybe, maybe any Star Wars movie? For instance, for or- Seamless... Instance. That's one that I hope none of us will have on our list in two weeks as something we still have yet to see. Well, some of us already have. It's true. That's true. Angela uh, the Overachiever has already Angela crossed it off your list of things to see. And saw it on a Monday morning, no less. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Got and, and bright so, and early. So we're going to keep this spoiler free. Yeah. Uh, I will say that if you're looking for a little bit of context about Rogue One, before you go into the theater, you want to appreciate it just a little bit more. We have a piece up uh, on Wired.com today from Kevin McFarland uh, that gets into Rogue One. I, be- I believe the full title is Rogue One Catalyst, um, and that is a prequel novel that came out last month, but he dove into that. Um, it's got a lot of the characters that are in Rogue One, and it tells kind of their backstory and how they got to where they are in the events of Rogue One, which, of course, take place in the lead-up to Star Wars New Hope. Yes. So if you wanted go back two steps yeah. from Star Wars, you can get a bead on the characters, everyone from Jin Erso's parents to, um, to Forrest Whitaker's character to whoever, there's more about them. Yeah. So it's not exactly spoilers, but you can read on that today. Yeah. But so my, que- my first question for you, Angela, yeah, is Rogue One is of course, like what's the main narrative about this? This is the first right. standalone, yeah. non-saga, yeah. Star Wars movie, and it's uh, and it's sort of a a self contained thing because it's things that we already had known had happened from Star Wars lore, but had never sort of seen. We like know that they stole the plans for the Death Star, um, and that's you know kind of leads into the events of A New Hope. But this is that sort of not so merry band of ladies and gents who pulled off that um, that great theft and and got the plans, and it's. You know, it's funny. I was telling um, our colleague Adam Rogers because he came over to my desk and just did the like hand about a- Adam, who is uh, <laughs> the biggest Star Wars fan I maybe <laughs> have ever met. Let's go with Star Blank because Star Trek, <laughs> yeah. Star Gate, right? The Last Starfighter, yeah. Basically, any like he's that guy. Yeah, Starlight Lounge. He knows them all. Yeah. Um, no, that's a place. Anyway, uh, yeah. So he came Starlight over. Express. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber musical about disco <laughs> dancing robots. Yeah. On roller skates. Yeah. Also a good dancer. No, I don't know. He might be. Um, and so anyway, so he came over and he was like, and and I was like, I sort of froze because it's like one of those things where you like you could blink wrong and somebody gets the wrong impression about how you felt about it, and I just don't want to spoil anybody about 
anything, even including their expectations? So, so let me just very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, Angela hops on to uh, Slack. Are you gonna, where we yeah, do yeah. Our, our in in house messaging. If, yeah. if you're not familiar with, it's just like I am for companies. So I'm on my way back, and everyone's like, Angela, 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 how's Rogue One? Here's what Angela says. This is a quote. It's a perfectly fine Star Wars movie. And everyone lost their (laughs) shit. Because if you have read Angela's writing or if you've heard me uh, giving her the what for about it, that is about the most, that's the darkest oh, like, criticism. I think that's the most scathing that has like, ever that been. Like, that's like the Rex Reed, <laughs> like, I walked out of a theater level assessment. When Angela <laughs> says it was a perfectly fine this or that, she's <laughs> too nice to say anything else, so we freaked out. Right. Yeah, you thought I was being mean. What, it, what had happened... What had happened? What had was, happened was I was walking out of a screening, getting all these Slack messages while like also talking to other people who were leaving the movie and like half answering and half not. And I was like, what I meant to be was like, that there was a darn toot and good Star Wars movie, but it like I didn't end with an exclamation point. I didn't like I was There was an exclamation point. Was there? Yes, okay. but that 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 wasn't what set yeah, well, the, I mean, it makes sense if you were talking to other people about it in person, too, because if it's not on the Angela Watercutter scale, then that's yeah. a pretty yeah. charitable review yes. yeah. from uh, uh, from people who say mean things. Yeah, people who are normally paid to be critical. All of Twitter, yeah. Facebook commenters. Yeah. That's yeah. like... Oh, if someone said that's a perfectly fine article on Twitter, it'd be the biggest compliment yeah. that ever said happened. about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, never, I've ever, never, ever said anything like that about my writing. <laughs> No. Call, call the Peabody's. Cause. Yeah, because I'm winning. No, so I just like, I had sent that in a hurry, and then I got back to all of these people being like, what the hell? And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. What I meant was like, what I meant was that it is a Star Wars movie through and through. Everything that's like ever been, you know, sort of, everything that you want in a Star Wars movie, every itch you want scratched is all there, but that also means that like, you know kind of what's coming because it's a Star Wars movie. That was what I was trying to do translate with that and that was what I told Adam when he came over the other yesterday and was just like and um, was just that like I don't want to like tilt any scales or anything or you know put my thumb on the scale or anything I just wanted to say like if you like Star Wars you will like the Star Wars movie. So does its standaloneness mm-hmm. which is now a perfectly valid adjective as far as I'm concerned. Yeah standalone. Uh, yeah. Does it affect the way you watched the movie? Was oh, there like, an awareness of, like, this is the beginning and the end? Yeah. Yeah, well, and, like, um, gosh, I don't want to spoil too much. But just because, like, it's standaloneness does sort of leave you, like, they've already said there's not going to be a sequel to Rogue One. Like, these people might pop up again somewhere somehow, but, like. So they don't all die? I don't. Don't tell I us. I was told they all died. <laughs> um, I am not answering that. Um. So, yes, I mean, like, there are parts of it that, like, you go in sort of knowing that an, all, the entire movie is a foregone conclusion, right? Because right. we've seen three other movies that came after it. Um, whether or not that takes away from it, no. Because it's, like, it's sort of one of those things. It's about how they did it, that it aside from uh, instead of the fact that they did it at all. Um, you know they're going to pull it off because, you know, obviously Leia got the plans. Um, Was that the problem with the prequels? Was it we knew what was going to yeah, happen? Yeah, I mean, like, you saw that little blonde kid, and you're like, well, that's going to be freaking Darth Vader in 30 years. Yeah. You know, like, 
Well, that's one of the problems, but that's a different 10-hour <laughs> podcast different series po- we can is, do. Yes, that is It's a just di- the gripe cast of 2017. From the producers of Serial. <laughs> uh, I, I hate the first Star Wars. They have been running uh, the prequels in particular kind of ad infinitum on whatever network airs those all the time. Now I can't remember. Uh, but Spike, maybe? or No. Something, but yeah. like I was kind of laid up on Sunday, and they, they just kept being on, and I was through channels. And I just kept thinking, it. They look terrible. Like they, they're so shiny and flat. Yeah, they were made at the exact wrong time. They were made at the mm-hmm. exact wrong time. Like it was they like a CGI explosion that hadn't quite figured out yeah. non uncanny CGI. Yeah, like they were just made at that exact time where everybody was moving off of practical effects because Jurassic Park had happened. But they were not yet to the point they are now where they can render anything in five minutes or less. And it's just like, and then George Lucas went back and tried to air quotes fix them. And then it was like, that didn't help either. And yeah. I think he just has a different definition of fix. Yeah. Maybe that's (laughs) what it is. We we don't understand fix the way George understands fix. Uh, So does Rogue One maintain that? Like you said, that the the thing that Force Awakens got back was that blend of practical, dirty feel mm-hmm. with like some decently rendered stuff yeah. that didn't feel, other than maybe Snoke, yeah, that didn't feel super. I mean, I think gratuitous. It, right. I don't know if this um, isn't necessarily line from A to B, but I think the fact that um, John Knoll, who has been so important to Lucasfilm VFX for an ILM for so long now, had such a hand in it, like I feel like it kind of became everybody was like. Guys, we got to do this one for John, and so everything looks really great. And clean. Are, are you saying people should read the feature about John Knoll that's in the? December I was I was going to just like put it in the show notes, but that's I think fine. we could also explicitly say you should read the feature on Wired on John Knoll, written by our own Rob Caps, yeah, director of editorial, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it has it, it 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 captures that thing that Force Awakens had of like, welcome back to the world. We know you missed it. So, any BB-8 level standout characters? Uh, K2, which, if we're going to plug our stuff, uh, Jason K has a wonderful piece about Alan Tudyk, Alan Tudyk who plays K2. Um, he's a reprogrammed Imperial droid, so he looks like an Imperial droid, but he's a good guy. Um, and uh, has a great piece on him and sort of the... He's like the sarcastic, kind of more bitter version of the droids that we're used to from Star Wars that are normally just like cute and playful. Um, well, he's yeah. the diplomacy of an Imperial droid. Yeah. He just happens to be yeah. a decent guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so he's a he's a fun addition because like the if one thing I took away from this and this is what I was talking to our colleague Brian Raftery about yesterday was like it's on the scale of Star Wars movies it's pretty bleak like and it's a lot darker than I mean Force Awakens even like there's always like death and destruction and all those sort of things in Star Wars movies but this one felt particularly like damn Now reportedly mm-hmm. that was a big issue that Lucasfilm and Disney had Right or maybe not Lucasfilm, Disney, yeah. had with Gareth Edwards' original mm-hmm. cut, yeah. which is why the re- the rumored reshoots happened. Right. Is it rumored at this point? I mean, we know that there were some, how the depth and breadth of them, yes. I think, is what's under, debate. you know, debate. Yeah. Uh, so did it feel like uh, that was the original vision and they, they, they lightened it, but it still felt that way? Or is this something that makes you think that maybe the reshoots weren't as fundamental as had been rumored? I mean, I think that, like, I think the entire third act seems a little tonally 
frightened from mm. the other the rest of the film. I don't know if that's all reshoots or just like the fact that your third act mm. is always where you have like the big action X wing flying you, through the air scenes. Or are you just saying that because Riz Ahmed's hair is somehow much longer than it was in the first two acts of the movie? There was one point. There, there is one point where you're like, is Felicity Jones wearing a reshoots wig right now? <laughs> ben Mendelsohn has a beard for yeah, no reason right, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, it looks, uh, looks more like a character he just recently played on TV. Um, All of a sudden, Forrest Whitaker has been replaced by Will Forte, and no yeah. one knows why. <laughs> yeah. um, so there were, there were a few instances like that where it kind of felt like somehow the, the tone had been tweaked a little bit, because like there are parts of it where I was just like, you know what this reminds me of? Godzilla, um, which mm. was Gareth Edwards' previous movie, and is like, I mean, dark for all the reasons that Godzilla is dark. But, I mean, I think that... It's very possible that some levity was intentionally sort of injected into it. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't think it's, I mean, the, the story itself is so kind of um, intense on its own that, like, I think a lot of that was in there from the beginning. I think Gareth Edwards shot the script he was given, and then they were like, oh, maybe that script was a little, you know, like, mm-hmm. could have used a little bit more, like, um, yeah, they said lightning throughout, um, some levity throughout, so... That's, I mean, that's probably what what you're kind of seeing in that reshoots conversation. So, what was missing? Mm. Or where? First, I guess, where does this compete with any of the six? Sorry, four. <laughs> uh, oh, the, movies. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think honestly, like it's still better than any of the prequels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just. For all the reasons we just sort of enumerated, it's not better than Force Awakens for obvious reasons. Um, well, no, um, no, I don't. Well, no, why obvious? I mean, just because like Force Awakens is. I mean, it is the saga. It is, you know. Oh my God, this is where Luke Skywalker's. But you know, like I mean, mm-hmm. like there are those sort of things where this is a movie that talks about all those characters we care about so much, and like you know, obviously it's no spoilers. Like Vader's there. I mean, so you do get to spend a little bit of time with them, but. You know, Force Awakens in- introduced a lot of new players, but they were also very much picking up a torch from familiar characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is, you know, um, a little a little side hustle kind of thing for yeah. you know um, for something that ends up happening with the major players that we all kind of know and love now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in that sense, it's but it's still, like I said, better than the prequels. So what what but. what's the role of these going forward? Then are these like are they all going to need to be judged kind of on a different set of criteria? Yeah, well, I mean, what I think will be interesting to that point is like what happens with like the young Han Solo movie, right? Because that mm-hmm. is a character that we know and love, and even if he will be having an adventure, sort of before the the era in which we've known him so far, like he's gonna be there with Lando Calrissian, he's gonna be there, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's gonna be there with Chewie, like all of those characters um, will still be around. So in that case, like maybe that does get, either get held to a higher standard or will sort of achieve a higher standard simply because it's a little bit more of a familiar, uh, a familiar character and a familiar story. But See, I can't it's, tell so hard to, it's so hard to tell, right? Because I can't tell if that's a, a boon or a bane. Like I, yeah. that, that feels to me like young Han Solo in particular is way more fraught because yeah. you're getting into prequel territory in yeah. a way that like it's not just a narrative prequel, it's a character prequel. Yeah. And that's dangerous ground. Right. And with somebody, yeah, with a character that's been played by Harrison Ford who's like – the face of the franchise, and like you know? no, no shots at Donald Glover, but Billy D. Williams also. Yeah. Like, that is such an iconic portrayal of a character. Yeah, that it's. 
Like, yeah. are you going to be doing impressions? What are you going to be doing? Right. Yeah. Did you get the sense from from Rogue One that people are going to be defensive about it in the way that people often are? You know, I I imagine people certainly will be when it comes to their beloved characters. I don't know if they will be for this kind of standalone story too. You mean will they be defensive, like of the movie, like defending liking it, um, or like like to pick some of my own genre passions? Uh-huh. I do not want to watch Fantastic Beasts because right. I love Harry Potter enough yeah. that I don't. To me, it is it is marring the history of something that right. I hold very near and dear. Right. I imagine I, I imagine there's a difference between Rogue One and the Han Solo movie in terms of how much that plays into people's relations with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, actually. And I I feel like that still is something I can't even answer for myself yet. Like, I kind of, I was, I was still so much very glad to be sort of back in the universe again. And, like, it, I, as I was standing up, somebody next to me was like, we're going to get one of these every year for the rest of our lives. And we were all like, yup. Like, every two years. Yeah, well, no, I mean, we'll get a Star oh, Wars yeah. movie every year. We'll get a standalone movie every two years. Um, and sort of, like... I feel like this movie, and this was something Brian and I were talking about yesterday, like, it's still getting by a lot on nostalgia. And that is fine. Like, you know, who doesn't like a really well-made thing from the universe that they already really like? And character comebacks. Yeah, and, like, there's little cameos, and there are are one-liners for, you know, that are nothing but fan service. And, like, as long as it's done well, like, whom I don't mind. But, like, will I still say that in 10 years? I don't know. You know, like, when it's sort of, like, nothing but scratching a familiar itch when I'm just like, well, I have Blu-rays at home that could do that. You know, like, I don't, um, I don't need this necessarily. Like, this one by itself, I think that, like, I think time will be kind to it, but whether or not it'll be kind to every one of the standalones from here on out, it might be tougher. Do you imagine these are just service for, or that Rogue One is just service for fans like this, or for for anyone out there who maybe doesn't have these kind of ties to the Star Wars universe, right. is it still a, a fun or a worthwhile movie to go see? I think it's worthwhile to go see. And I think that it's one of those things where it's kind of where the entire franchise can sort of, like, I don't know, kind of spread its wings a little bit. Because if it fails, it's not like, oh, crap, we just threw off a whole narrative that we were working on. You know, like, if they have a standalone that kind of is like, meh. Like, that's okay. Like, it was a standalone, and they can just, everybody can kind of move on from it. Um, And it lets them sort of, like, flick at things that, like, up to now, things like the tie-in books and the comics and um, the animated series have only been able to do, like, Clone Wars and things like that. Like, it, it's able to do that on a scale that's much more accessible to people who just want to see a Star Wars movie and don't go that deep into uh, the canon. Um, it gives them something to go, something to go check out. And you know, like the you know the thing when we talk about like inclusion and stuff in the Star Wars universe, um, the thing that I think the entire franchise has to get over is that like the original characters, the ones that we are so tied to, are you know pretty much a bunch of white dudes and Leia. You know what I mean? And so, like, this... And some aliens. Um, and this kind of... Many of whom are, are racist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not the aliens themselves. Right, but... <laughs> but the features that they embody. Right, right. Um, so, oh, man. Maybe just, they are. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe there's some racist-ass <laughs> yeah, aliens. Yeah. They, <laughs> the problem with Yen Nub wasn't that he looked like right. a stereotype, it's that he hated... Yeah. Well, I mean, you see Wookiees. those Senate debates, and it's just like, man, they just don't <laughs> like each other. Um, anyway, so, like... It allows them to kind of introduce new characters into the universe without kind of messing with the pre-existing canning, and I think that is a great way to kind of broaden 
broaden the palette a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm really curious how this, like you said, Charlie, how this is going to be received by people who maybe didn't even come to Force Awakens because it felt like it had this baggage. But yeah. like with a whole generation of kids who dress up as Rey for Halloween, yeah. is Jin going to be another one of those like new right. heroes? Right, and that's why I think some of the standalones, I mean, maybe not the Han Solo one necessarily, but I think some of the standalones um, are do sort of exist for people to have easier on-ramps to this whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like you don't, like you probably have to know that the Death Star plans were stolen, but other than that, you don't really have to know a whole lot going into this. You have to be, you have to understand that Star Wars is going to like make up a bunch of planet names that you've never heard of and you just kind of have to go with it. Um, but, you know, they type them in the bottom left corner of the screen so you always know <laughs> where you are. Um, you know, so, like, there are those sort of, those elements to it. Um, but, yeah. What do you guys say? Are you guys going to see? Like, you're seeing it, like, this weekend, right? I have to figure out how. Like, I was yeah, supposed to go to the screening yesterday. Yeah, I dropped the ball. Yeah, I, and so, like, I was just talking to Engineer Joey about this. I hope you like that name. <laughs> Thumbs up uh, from the ever silent. Uh, it's like at this point, I was banking on seeing it Monday and then or yesterday, and then waiting a couple weekends till it all played out, yeah. and then would go see it again. Yeah. And now I'm like, well, shit, how am I going to see it? Like I have to try to see it Thursday night. Right. Basically. Yeah, you have to go at like midnight. Profes- I have professional obligations. <laughs> I need to see this on Thursday. Well, um, also just personally. Uh- I would like to see it without crazy spoilers and the right and the, the number by, of the, minutes the, I will be able to be in the wired office without yeah. finding out everything that happened. I just want to point out that in one year, Charlie Locke has gone from never having seen Star Wars movie one, Naria one, to saying yeah. I don't want to get spoiled, so I need to see Rogue One. I'm I'm a changed person. <laughs> yeah, that's Silent a high fiveable five. moment. Yeah, Silent high five. <laughs> From those of us who have corrupted her. Yeah. No, I mean, I have I have watched every every Star Wars movie I've ever seen with people from Wired, and it's, you know. Yeah. And I'm sorry we made you start with, the, wait, no, we started with, we did, you did theatrical order, or you did? Yeah, I you did started with four, New Four, five, six, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. But I did watch the versions with uh, the, the, the re-edited oh, versions, right. because yeah. you, Peter, were curious available. about what it would be like for youth who grew up yes. in the age of that. So, any anyone, you can direct your angry tweets towards at Proven Self. Yeah. I just want to know how millennials think, man. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So, there's yeah. a show called Seinfeld, man. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, I mean, we're both going to see it. Yeah. If we were doing another podcast next week, yeah. we might be able to check back in. Uh, maybe we'll check in in January yeah. about this. Maybe maybe you can just watch us tweet at each other about it or That's something. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. I think we hinted at the idea that 2016 was maybe not the most joyous year at all times. But a lot of great stuff did come out. So I think rather than get into a big discussion about the meta-narratives and stuff, just was there a trend or a structural thing that you guys are thankful for? Is there something that really seemed to evolve in a good way, whether that is a format or a creative trend or a change that needed to happen, That something that tells you that at least... With our pop culture, society is moving in a good direction. Mm. And you and you look at me. I, have, I, I can start. I'm yeah, go ahead and start. start. Go ahead and start because I, I think mean, I have something, but I want to. And then, like, so, so this is something sure. that that we got at to a large degree with our September issue, uh, mm. which was a cover story about Luke Cage, yeah. uh, and there was a wonderful essay in there uh, from Jason Parham. But this fall season in particular, you saw the uh, an, an influx of. 
black creatives mm-hmm. in television at the showrunner level, at the EP level, and we've always had some. Mm-hmm. You know, Salim Akil and Maria Brock, Maria, later Maria Brock Akil and Shonda Rhimes. Yep. But, you know, whether it was Ava DuVernay doing Queen Sugar mm-hmm. or Cheo Coker uh, doing Luke Cage or uh, Issa Rae doing Insecure or Donald Glover doing Atlanta. Atlanta. I yeah. mean, the last two of which were, I mean, Queen Sugar is wonderful, but it's melodrama of, of a kind that I don't yeah. watch obsessively. Yeah. But Atlanta and Insecure were both so interesting, mm-hmm. both narratively and like formally. Like yeah. what Atlanta, and we've spent episodes talking about these, so we know yeah. how I feel about them. But for me, that was a thing that I could come out of the year and be like, okay. Yeah. Hollywood is finally, like the development cycle is yeah. starting to catch up like the changes that started getting instituted in a real way or paid mm. attention to in a real way a few years ago are finally coming to 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 fruit. Yeah. And so TV's looking better now yeah. for me. Well and like I mean just a couple of days ago, Easter Egg got nominated for a Golden Globe. Yep. Which Donald you know, Glover like, got nominated for lead actor. Yeah. And and best comedy. Right. So not only is that thing sort of bearing fruit, but it's also like getting the the sort of reception that I think it deserves. For sure. So like I think that's that's really cool. Um now that I've thought about it. Um, I would also like to say the we already kind of started this, but I think the 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 crazy amount of good music we got this year, specifically mm-hmm. stuff that kind of came as a surprise, like the Chance record, Frank Ocean finally releasing his album, Lemonade, like all those sort of things. I think the um, I was just like I've always loved music, but I I feel like after specifically after college and after a while, I kind of like lost touch with like who was playing at like the local bar you know, down the street from my house, just, um, like being like that in touch with it. Um, and sort of like getting things that they came to me, but not, you know, always being able to step on it. But like this year, like you could not wake up in the morning and not find another new great record that came out. It seemed like it was just like a superb year for music and yeah. a lot of stuff that, like I said, sort of came, um, you know, just really fresh and new. And yeah, I think that would probably be, I mean, the Frank Ocean album is tied with Lemonade right now for my favorite album of the year. Both of those were kind of like... And it, like, and those both speak to the idea that it was a great year for the album as a yeah. form, which we started seeing a couple yeah. of years ago and, and talked about it some, but like, great albums, yeah. not just songs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in terms of what, what can redeem this year in terms of sheer joy, mm-hmm. it would be all of the music of this year, yeah. which really helps with what 2016 has been. Yeah. But um, in terms of form, I mean, personally, I'm really excited about what fiction podcasts have been like in the yeah. past year and how I think, you know, they they've existed for years, but it's very much been kind of the the easy way of doing fiction podcasts, I think, is to do found footage or to kind of use these conceits of a reporter going out and interviewing people or um, kind of formats that make sense and are easy. And I think it's been interesting to see how a couple different shows, I think Homecoming does this really well. I think um, the Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel does this, but the kind of podcast that um, trust their listeners to just come along for the ride where um, like you don't you, you don't wonder in a TV show why there's a camera following someone around all yeah. the time yeah. and right. you shouldn't need to have an explanation for the object in a podcast either yeah. but I think that'll be a fun form that's such an interesting point that we have moved on from the tropes of radio yeah. theater yeah. but <clears throat> it's 
like we need to a completely new generation or two have to refamiliarize themselves with that. Yeah. Like, and it's nice seeing those, and those, those are getting forged mm. in VR as well, yeah. as you know well, Angela. Yeah. And so, like, we're developing kind of new storytelling languages all the time. And I think that's a great point. And Night Vale, didn't Night Vale just have its its 100th episode? Yeah, crazy episode where everyone who's ever been on Night Vale was on their 100th episode. Comedy Bang Bang <laughs> just did a very similar thing this week. It's the, it's the year-end holiday bonanza. There you go. I'm actually glad you're here to talk about this, Charlie, because I've been because I've been obviously reading your podcast coverage all year, which has been great. I'm, I'm sort of now fascinated with, like, do you think we're going to hit a point now that it seems like podcasts are really, you know, kind of finding their audience and sticking around. Like, are we going to get even sort of bigger, bolder, more well-financed podcasts in the next year? Like, is it going to kind of, you know, hit a hit a point where, um, you know, podcasts are at that level of, you know, re- readership, <laughs> listenership, you know what I meant? Um, that, you know, kind of rivals, you know, TV and other medium. Like, do you feel like there's, yeah, there's I more think it's an interesting them? It's an interesting kind of inflection point for podcasts there where, on on the one hand, it is really cool to see how advertisers and producers are trusting a lot more. That mm. it's kind of proven that there's a big listenership for podcasts, and so that means that uh, companies are willing to invest a lot more money and star mm. power. And you can see this in how podcasts are starting to have these very overt ties with TV. Um, mm. In terms of, I mean, that Homecoming, which has Oscar Isaac and Katherine Keener and David yeah. Schwimmer in it, and also the ways that some podcasts are are you know uh, being produced as pilots for TV. Yeah, it means that podcasts have really proven their place, which also is sad, I think, to mourn the early level of. You know, when there were fewer podcasts, you people could just make really weird things in yeah. their living room. And if you had a cool idea that hasn't really been done yet, it didn't have to be that high production quality. Yeah, I think it is probably good for all of us that mm-hmm. now it requires a higher production quality and more right. more money behind it. But sad to do you lose think those the barrier? Too. Yeah, do you think the barrier of entry is going to get a little bit? Yeah, I think that yeah. story about podcasts. You know, the idea that there's no barrier to entry is not true anymore. Right. You have to people you have to have people something. produce what you're doing and yeah. honestly I think that's a must for fictional podcasts which yeah. for me have always been the toughest genre to really get a beat on to like really genuinely enjoy because not Night Vale but like early ones and by early I mean like 2015 2016 mm-hmm. like to me were always marked by acting that wasn't super great yeah. it's such a must for, yeah. for to like let yourself go with it right um, when all you can do is here you really need to have yeah like a high quality sell, level sell of, me yeah swim me <laughs> <laughs> you made a swimmer joke we did, we're just talking about David Schwimmer, weren't we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, either I way, it's Im- fine. I yeah, just, I know. <laughs> you I can imagine. make a Schwimmer joke at any time, Peter. When, right. when Homer Simpson was at that trial and all he heard was the Meow Mix theme song, similarly, <laughs> when two people in front of me are talking and I'm not involved, <laughs> all I hear is the Friends theme song sometimes. So forgive me for having Ross Geller taking up residence someplace in my brain. Okay. It's just the interior monologue in Peter's head. Basically. Is the Friends yeah. Could it be any more singularly <laughs> obsessive? Uh, so, uh, with that, we're going to bid adieu to uh, 2016. And when we do our sign-offs, please tell them where they can find you. Uh-huh. And okay. the, this doesn't have to be something from 2016 you missed, especially since we already covered that. But what? give us a cultural resolution for 2017. What is the thing you are finally going to cross off your list? What is that book you're finally going to read? What is that show you're finally going to watch? What is that uh, 
band you're finally going to follow on tour and sell grilled cheese sandwiches for? I don't know. Culture's a big place. You tell us. You know what? Yeah. We're going to start with Charlie. All right. Okay. I can take it. Charlie, Charlie, you're on. (laughs) Well, I'm Charlie Locke. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Locke. Um, And I think in in keeping with the theme of what Wired exposes me to and how I have gone from novice to acquainted with Star Wars, I think I can comfortably (laughs) say in this room, um, uh, in the past year, I think 2017, maybe I'm going to try and get literate about Star Trek. Ooh. Which I really only know from watching episodes when I have to write about them for Wired. And so I think I think it might, I'm, I certainly am not going to cross it off my list because that would mean an entire year yeah. in the bunker where I did that. But um, yeah, getting getting a handle on it, being able to have a conversation about it. I share your desire to do that. I have <laughs> a very passing knowledge of two of the shows and that's it. And a couple of the movies, but yeah. No, I don't. I do not know that universe very well. Um, uh, I am Angela Watercutter. You can find me on Twitter at Waterslicer, W-A-T-E-R-S-L-I-C-E-R. And I got to say, on the spot, I've been inspired. I think I'm going to listen to all of Night Vale. Nice. nice. Yeah. I don't, like, I've, I've maybe caught an episode here or there just because, like, I was listening to, like, something from, you know, something that somebody was writing here or um, just caught a snippet or whatever. But I've never listened all the way through. And maybe that's my, maybe I like that's my it. goal. Yeah. That's great. Um, so for me, did you do the Twitter? Yeah, yeah. at Water Slicer. I just, I just heard David Schwimmer. Uh, <laughs> hey, I hear Smelly Cat all day, Perfect. so, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, uh, Proven Self, P-R-O-V-E-N-S-E-L-F. Um, for my catch-up, I feel like I used this at the end of an episode not too long ago and said that I had started watching it, and then it fell directly off the binge map for me, uh, and so... Having three episodes in, I feel like it's still a viable candidate for this. So I'm going with The Americans, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. And uh, it is not a show that finds <clears throat> a unanimity of domestic enthusiasm mm-hmm. in my house. Uh, <laughs> so it may be the kind of thing I have to watch a very myself. diplomatic answer. Uh, I did it with Breaking Bad, and I'm happy, you know. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but you know, when you watch something, when you watch most things with a partner uh-huh. and they're not into the thing, then I feel like there's a whole breed of service journalism that is about how to find the time <laughs> to watch this thing. Yeah. Uh, that might be the kind of thing you just delve into the world of the Americans on a weekend sometime when when you and Crosby can just immerse yourself. That's that's how I did Westworld, to be honest <laughs> with you. That is That's how I did Westworld. That's a good one to do for that. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot more of the Americans, though, at least yeah. so far. <laughs> so, um, but we hope you join us uh, in having uh, a wonderful, healthy holiday season. And we will see you all in 2017. Thank you so much for listening to The Monitor this year. We will be back. See you then. Bye.